you're listening to Cinema Red Pill. I'm Sharon, and today I'm here with Nick. Hi, everyone. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about Nick's favorite film of all time. Actually, you know, quick side note is the reason when you asked me to talk about my favorite film, I don't exactly have one, but I wanted to talk about one that's not accessible that I feel people should, you know, access. That was your logic. Yeah. And I specifically asked you for an accessible classic film. I think this ought to be accessible. It's not, but it ought to be. Hence my choice. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so, Nick's favorite film is The Seventh Seal. Yeah. Am I right? That's right. It's The Seventh Seal. it's by the director. Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar. Oh my god, I said Ingrid. (laughs) Yeah. So, Ingmar Bergman also has Persona. Yeah. So we're going to talk about both the films. Yeah. This is now officially the oldest film we've done on the podcast. Really? 1957, that's really old. Is that for Seventh Seal? Yeah, Seventh Seal. Yeah, so 1957 is the oldest. Uh, The one before runner-up was 1964. The graduate. Okay. Yeah, I think that's around the same time Persona came Persona out. came out. Yeah, Persona is in black and white. Yeah. Is there a reason why they kept that style? Well, yeah. Um, it, its original title was Cinematography, but you know, in Swedish. So I guess Cinematography you know, or something like that. The, the point of it, uh, part of it, was trying to tell a story through cinematography. Uh, Ingmar Bergman and his career cinematographers was uh, they worked together on pretty much all of their movies and so they wanted to do a project that uh, involved the audience in the effect of light and story and so Persona came up they wrote a script and directly involved in the directorial process was the cinematographer himself so what I saw about that guy Mm -hmm. is how people were just trying to explain how directly a cinematographer can affect the director's work because Ima Badma's work Bergman's work was not going to be what it was without him, do you think? Of course not. The, the, that's, I think that's why he kept going to the same guy throughout his entire career. They're, it's intrinsically related. You're, in a visual media, I think light is a big deal, yeah. and this guy takes it seriously. And so they influence each other. I think a more modern Duo? Contemporary duo is Wes Anderson and his cinematographer. What's his name? I the name escapes me right now, but uh, yeah, and you can see in the style. Does he always use the same guy? Almost always. I think there's only like two exceptions. Okay, speaking of some people who have been talking about before the podcast, yeah. one of the pretentious guys in your video, I think, <laughs> <laughs> always uses Lubezki. Yeah, that's Mario. true. That actually does work as well because. Mm-hmm. They suit each other's style. Mm. The best he likes doing all the fancy stuff, <laughs> all the contemporary, <laughs> you know, <laughs> scientific tricks, and in your to eat it up. So yeah, they work together. It's fine. <laughs> in fact, it's not something unique as such to uh, to Ingmar Bergman. Lots of directors do this. Yeah. It's just that for these two, it was very. Uh, I, I hate to use the word intimate. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. that's a good word to use. Yeah. Oh. Okay, other details on the director himself besides the cinema- cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he's Swedish, so <laughs> <laughs> most, most of his movies are in Swedish. Yeah. And I think viewers should expect that. It sounds a little funny, but you'll get used to it. 
And I think when you get down to the brass matter of it, the dialogue is much more interesting when it's spoken in its original tongue. I think there are dubs out there, English dubs, but are avoid they those. Are Never watch an English answer. dubbed film. It's, it's, Never watch cancerous. an English dubbed <laughs> film. Don't. Never, even with anime films, I just never watched. Yeah, it doesn't film. work. Anyway, he's a Swedish man. Um, he's passed away, and he directed, I think, over sixty movies. Over sixty. He's a very um. He's very well regarded. He's, he's like a, to put it like a rapper. He's your director's favorite director. Mm-hmm. He's uh, in those communities. He's uh, a great influence to guys like Martin Scorsese and. You know, the big names, everyone looks at Bergman's work, Woody Allen, all those. They look at it like a holy grail, like something to aim for. Mm -hmm. Which is ironic considering they're making films at the same time. And I think it's about time people, at least the sophisticated cinema viewer, and even the casual one, just, uh, you know, look at his work and appreciate it. Because it's fantastic. It's definitely worth viewing. I must point out, it won't be obvious you appreciate it, though. <laughs> I, I still insist they're not the most accessible films. I yeah. think if I'd watched these films when I was, uh, like, three years from before this, I wasn't going to appreciate them the way I've come to now. Yeah. There's another relationship I wanted to ask about. Have you seen his relationship with Tarkovsky? Um, like, Tarkovsky was his favorite director, and he was Tarkovsky's favorite uh, director. I'm not aware of that. Really? You yeah. should see that. Okay, now let's talk about the film. It's time to talk about the film. We're going to start with Persona because I feel right. it was my favorite one out of the two. <laughs> Naturally. It's the more accessible one. Advice to anyone who decides to watch the films. Start with Persona. Persona yeah. Start with it, actually. Please watch Seven then Seal. Then after that, see Seven Seal. <laughs> yeah. So, like we said before, there's about 60 films of his, but we're going to just pick out these two. Yeah. Wait, I actually have no idea when this time for. So I like <coughs> Persona. I like this film. First of all, of course, I love that it was two female leads. That's super obvious. Yeah. And it was more comprehensible. The other, f- it it's you. It has a storyline. It's headed towards this a narrative going on in the film, which you can actually pick up on. But mm-hmm. one place where I, would, I think I would want you to actually start on is the way it begins. And how weird it is also as a film. With the little boy in the bed, then and there's the this screen. thing they had on going with the com- with the reel, with yeah. the film reel, uh, which even comes on. And they Yes! <laughs> so, I think that should sway you into how you want to talk about this film. Alright, so like I mentioned earlier on, Persona was originally dated cinematography. It was mm. an exercise in light. Mm. Okay? Light on film and its effect on storytelling. So, Okay, this is my interpretation of the beginning of that movie. Is uh, <laughs> okay, this is also crass. It's to set the mood, <laughs> to get you to understand what's going to happen. Mm. There is a point in those in that little brief montage where the child is on a screen. Oh, I love that and, show. Uh, and, and he's touching a screen, but it's not visible. The screen is itself is invisible. Yeah. But there's an image is playing in the background. I, I really like it's that. A lot like the <laughs> it's a bit condescending because it's it's portraying the audience as an infant unable to even experience the screen. Like may I say this is Nick's interpretation <laughs> of the film. <laughs> I think I said that earlier on. <laughs> this is your interpretation. Well, I mean you're watching a movie typically on a big screen because these movies are portrayed on uh, the silver screen. Yeah. At the time uh, DVDs weren't, weren't there. Yeah. Neither was VHS. Anyway. Mm. So whenever they show a 
screen within a movie it's, I think it's a pretty straightforward metaphor mm. and yeah directors think of their audience as infants most of the time that's condescending to, yes, to the audience the idea that um, this child was now trying to pierce through the, the screen and into the, you know it was uh, it was plus like you mentioned it was a beautiful shot it really honestly is a I have no idea how shot. they did it but mm, <laughs> I love so to good. I love to find out mm. So, like you said, there's that brief montage at the beginning mm-hmm. that's kind of incomprehensible. It's don't worry about so, it. Yeah, just ignore <laughs> it. Like if if, uh, if you're just getting into it, don't worry. It will be over well. soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will be over soon. When you get into it, um, we have your two female leads. One is yeah. A nurse. Now let's talk about the characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, one is a nurse that she's taking care of, a famous actress who mm-hmm. I think she admires. Uh, who went uh, mute for no discernible reason nope. on stage. She just suddenly went mute. And she's now in the care of this nurse. And they go to a secluded mansion somewhere in the beach. And that's where our story takes place. It's about these two's relationship and uh, the eventual psychosis that goes on between the two of them. Why it's so fantastic is because they start to meld... Uh, I don't know how to put it. Personalities as such, I guess that's. I think we've gone way ahead of ourselves because that melding of personalities happens a bit at the end. It's towards the end. I, I would like to first talk about the relationship they form while they're there. While they're there, the nature of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very. Uh, it's, in my opinion, at least at first, it was very admirer and idol. Yes. yes. And the idol is quiet. She doesn't she say does anything. She's it. mute. And so this this nurse who I suppose must be unfulfilled in <laughs> some way admires her so greatly. She keeps talking to her, and uh, she's basically you know she's loving it. But eventually, there's a slight frustration. You can see it. It's only very slight that this person isn't changing. She's she's just this mute, unsee. Almost she may as well not be here, but. There she is, and there's this frustration, and then she, uh, the nurse eventually starts confiding in a very personal information. So personal, uh, I mean, when I say personal, I don't mean I am married to this person once and I go to divorce. I mean the kind of thing you've decided to never speak with again to anyone. I think we're just speaking about <laughs> that first monologue, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the important one because. It, it it brings up the next bit in that relationship. It's the betrayal of trust. Yeah. She confides in her this extremely uh, well, it's one of the favorite moments of everyone who sees this movie. Yeah, it's she, one of my she describes a sexual encounter at the beach. You need to see it to understand. It's uh it's amazing because without even showing any you could flashbacks, imagine that you can picture it very scene. vividly and yeah. It, almost in your head it seemed like that scene was played out in the movie but it wasn't she yeah. just talked about it mm-hmm. anyway her trust was betrayed mm-hmm. this intimate information was portrayed by this so called mute person mm-hmm. so it's almost a double <laughs> betrayal of trust like mm-hmm. what you won't talk but now you're talking <laughs> about it now, now you won't mm-hmm. shut up mm-hmm. when it comes to betraying my trust and eventually there's a conflict and well I don't spoil how it ends but it's a bit what I want what I will comment about it is during the ending 
keep in mind the effect of the light and what's happened between the two of them. Eventually, it even becomes a bit difficult to discern whose face. Anyway, you'll see it. No, <laughs> I have to talk about that a bit. <laughs> Yeah. The thing I, want, I liked about the film, though, why it was more accessible for me was the character, um, the nurse's character. Mm-hmm. I liked how confused she was. She was a very perfect character, like how she was talking about her marriage and how unsure she was about the world. And you'd also tell the actress's fascination towards her and how it was like a character study to exactly. her. It was a character, was a character study. study to her. Um, there's something that happens at the end, the part that you don't want to talk about. Well, that last I think it's monologue. a fantastic uh, it's <laughs> conclusion. It's a fantastic scene. And I don't spoil it for the viewer. No, I kind of <laughs> don't care. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful scene. What happens is they... Oh my god, I, I love that scene because I actually preferred it compared to the epic sex monologue which happens before that. Of course, it's Bec- the best scene in the movie. It's the best scene it's in the, the movie because they do this thing where they show the conversation in two different angles. angles exactly. And you know, you actually wait for them to make some difference. You know how the two perspectives are shown and they're somehow different? Yeah. No, the camera just changes. It just changes. And, and it's, it's the it's exact dialogue. I was like, what? <laughs> and that dialogue that they were talking about was so fascinating because can I talk about it? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Because they're describing this chick. Um, it was the nurse giving the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. The nurse was telling her what her. she knows mm. is wrong with her and giving her what she thinks why she's decided to stay mute. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she gave that this chick must give birth to a baby. And the baby was basically mm. disabled. Mm. And realistically, if you think of it, if this could happen to anyone. So she talks about how she started growing a severe hatred for the baby. And mm. of course, it kills you as a human as being a human inside. Being. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that was so magical. It was amazing. It was it's like uh, their final blo- it was like a final blossom of me of their relationship. Yeah. She, the uh, the obsession turned into true empathy. She could now read her mind almost. <laughs> that scene was so good. It was so brilliant. good. Pretty brilliant. Do you know I, I I don't have much memory about the closing scene besides the closing reel mm-hmm. at the end because yeah. it's done and made me realize that that whole reel sequence had some significance to it. And that's the thing There's about this film. Nothing is without significance. <laughs> like if you you it has so much okay. subtext. Ingmar Bergman is a, is a master of that of uh, precision. He's very precise. He's so clever. I think it makes sense that he's uh, into minimalism. He just he doesn't like all the the glare over nonsense. What if he's just <laughs> shitting us? What if he's just shit <laughs> and we're here reveling well, about how clever he must have been? And that makes us uh, the infants, doesn't it? He's <laughs> <laughs> like these fools. I was just doing that because <laughs> I was just doing random stuff. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> it would be. It reminds me about this. Is, this little story, you know how there's this movie Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese. Yes. You know how in the beginning the taxi marches from that small girl. Yeah. Before the title cut. Before the title. So a lot of the, you know, 
loaded critics and whatever were trying to describe that like it's about the, this curb coming out of like the moors of hell or something because of the smog. And so they interviewed Matt Scorsese about it and like I didn't know people were I put it there because there's this there's this steam in New York okay? <laughs> and it comes out sometimes and so I wanted a taxi to go through that steam. <laughs> In the same way, like recently, when as people were one of the first people overinterpreted from last year was Moonlight, mm-hmm. because it was quite an artistic film. It was. So now I saw someone fussing over the weirdest thing. They were saying how the character, the main character, mm-hmm. was eat every time he would eat food, he would eat it from the side. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine someone looking into that? <laughs> like, so this means <laughs> that in life, he always looked at himself as a side between he wasn't someone who deserved the whole food. Oh, analysis. <laughs> what? what? I was like, no, those things weren't written in the script. Stop over reading the film. <laughs> yeah, <Anyway>. that's true. <laughs> but I don't think that's the case with Bergman, though. His movies I, I really know. are very precise. His movies really have and a lot of subtext. And when you do see them, you'll understand. Now, while we're talking about that, I'm pretty sure Seven Seal, what we're going into, yeah. has so much beneath it. Like, I think I picked up 40% of that film. Yeah. And so let's get into <laughs> it. <laughs> Could you start talking is... about the premise of the film? All right. So, The Seventh Seal, Don't Let Sharon Fool You, is actually a very simple movie. <laughs> it's not simple. <laughs> It's a simple movie. In fact, when I was talking about the stylistic change, what I meant was uh, he went from being stark with what he was saying mm-hmm. to being a little more subtle. Persona is a very subtle movie. Anyway, it's not subtle. <laughs> it's okay. subtle for Bergman. Let's put it like that. Okay. So basically, what it's about is a, a knight, Antonius Block. He's a Swedish knight you just don't returning his from. Name. Oh, you're reading. Right oh, thank God, as we said, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was Antonius Block. He just returned uh, from the Crusades. It's set in medieval Sweden. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he returns from the Crusades and encounters death at a beach. Oh yeah. Uh, when I say encounters death, I mean literally death. The physical personification of death is a. Uh, almost like a monk mm-hmm. and he strikes a bargain with him in exchange for his own life and that of his squire he'll play a, a game of chess with him and uh, if he wins he gets to keep his life and if he loses of course he dies and i guess part of his logic to this as well was that at least during the game he'll stay alive anyway so the movie follows antonius block and his squire who only goes by jay I think mm-hmm. throughout uh, their adventures, so to speak, in medieval Sweden, and this is during the time of the Black Plague, it's spreading across Europe and it's killing a lot of people. So the atmosphere is really morbid. They go to a church and they find a muralist. Uh, <laughs> the guy who's drawing on yeah, the wall, illustrating the dance of death and mm-hmm. the spread of the Black Plague. Uh, the knight, Antonius Block, goes to have a confession with the priest. Naturally, I think he's scared a little bit, but he com- he goes into a monologue that's wonderful, and I think you should read it. There's amazing uh, catchphrases in there, but it turns out later that the person he's talking to isn't actually a priest, but death. death and so. he 
anointing really uh, gave away his strategy, mm. his chess strategy to death, and death tells him he'll remember it. Mm. So Block, of course, now accepts that he's probably going to lose. And uh, anyway, later on, they encounter a, an acting troupe. There is a lady, a juggler, and uh, their manager. The manager sleeps with the blacksmith, his wife. The juggler and the lady have a child. Yeah, he's actually the manager. I know it didn't seem like it, but... <laughs> anyway, yeah, the juggler and the wife have a child. And so when the knight encounters them, he says he's going to remember this moment while he was going to carry it into his next life like a, like a jug of milk, okay? Yeah. In short, he's happy with these people. And then death comes to remind him of their game, and he starts to lose the game. Eventually, the black plague starts to spread. People start flogging themselves in the streets. Uh, they're called, I think, flagellants. To punish themselves, they think it's a curse from God. Mm. And so the knight offers them to stay in their in his mansion mm-hmm. while the black plague won't reach them, he believes. But death reminds him that he'll find them wherever they go. That's death. Anyway, long story short. <laughs> I like that because even your expla- explanation is incomprehensible. <laughs> that, that is the definition of see this it. film. You have to see it to understand. Long story short. Yeah. Um, death bids them dance. They all have they to will die. Dance. They, all the have to, they all have to dance to the tune of death. A lot like what that muralist was painting. Mm. Anyway. So that's the basic plot of this movie. You can see it's very heavy on theme. <laughs> it's very, very heavy on religious theme. Yes, it's Which, uh, by my understanding, is why one of the reasons why you like it, right? Well, yes, of course, I'm a religious man. I kind of need to understand <laughs> that. Because... What? Some people's interpretation of this is his cynicism on God and mm-hmm. the lack of presence of God in a society and that's why the they are overtaken. Yes. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. a better way to articulate it. The silence of God, yes. which is the lack of his presence. Mm-hmm. And so why does this resonate with you in terms of Christianity and you as a religious man? Well, simply put, I mean any Christian will testify to this. Mm. Um, from a, you're, When you're raised in a dogmatic fashion, when you're raised to believe God's presence isn't only real, but it's very uh, visible. Mm. When you read the Bible, when you listen to the scriptures, God is in a a subtle person. When he acts, he acts. And then contrast that with own life experience, you're not seeing too many dead people raising, you're not Uh, seeing too many. It seems like in your own life versus the life that has been portrayed to you, God is very quiet, he's silent, he's almost indifferent. Mm. And that carries over to everything. You start to think maybe everything is indifferent. It plays well in the movie because the night squire, Jay, is a very nihilistic man. Mm-hmm. Uh, during during uh, the scene when he describes himself to the muralist, he does a caricature of himself and says, this is Jay. Believes in nothing. Is isn't quite good, bad he enough for hell. Isn't good enough for heaven. He's to the eternal well, life. He's actually, he's indifferent to everything. Yeah. He's a nihilist. He's mm. indifferent to women. He's indifferent to. Mm. He's, many people start to perceive it as uh, almost uh, laziness, but that's not what it is. Mm. 
and uh, don't get it wrong, he's actually kind of a righteous man. At some point, you see him rescuing uh, one of the actors from uh, a, a thug. And that thug happened to be a priest in the previous life and was the one who encouraged them to go to the go to go for the crusades in the first place. Mm. I think that's part of why he's such a nihilist. He sees this stuff. He sees that a priest is now robbing people and trying to rape women. So that's what this movie is trying to talk about. Mm. Good and evil. The, you know, the big stuff. Eh? Mm. And what I liked so much about it is, ironically enough, it's refreshing. These days, most of the movies come out, it's malarkey, it's irony, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, we can't look at good and evil, it's not that simple, stuff like that. Mm. When people try to tackle these things, it's cloaked in all kinds of uh, irony. and that's, that's the attitude of movies these days. What Bergman does is he presents an image so powerful, it survives all the parodies, it's, it's stuck, it's, uh, it's serious. Okay. Okay? Oh, <laughs> I like that description. He's such a serious director. Exactly. Mm. He's not. He's not. Uh, even <laughs> he's not trying to cover it up in uh, what's the word? A uh, farce. He's, he's 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 not interested in that. He tackled mm. the themes head on, and he did a fantastic job of it. Mm. And and then the, at the end of the movie, just like in the end of the day, we all have to dance with death. <laughs> what's the what's the quote? It said, the, "The Lord Death bids you dance." <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and anyway, uh, something I should mention: the the title, of the Seven Seal, it comes from Revelations, eight one. Oh, yes. Uh, and the Lord opened the seventh you seal. You know the chapter and the verse. Nice. <laughs> I <brought Christian. laughs> I read the Bible. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know. And the angel opened the seventh seal, and in heaven and on earth there was silence, which is what it's about the silence of God. Oh the my God. That's mm. a direct interpretation. I like that. Well, that's I did what know the, that. the movie is extremely direct. <laughs> that's really nice. Like I said, this, unlike what Sharon is trying to make it no. seem like, is a very direct movie. Ah, okay. <laughs> First, let me talk now, by okay. the way. So. Seal, it has the religious undertones. You can see them, they're right there. <laughs> Subtext, what word do you want me to use? I think they're tones, they're themes, it has religious themes. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But some of them are not obvious. There's only one I read, which I'll tell you about mm-hmm. a little later. But you can see they're there. I love the beginning, I love the night, yes. having the chess game with death. That was so fascinating. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think I'd seen that image a bit of times yeah. in my film internet life, mm-hmm. but I didn't. Now it was fascinating to see where it was from. Mm. But I mainly understood that dynamic between death and the night, between death and the night, and that preacher scene which we talked about, where he thought mm. it was a preacher, but it turned out to be death. Yes, but here is my problem. Every other single character around mm. the night mm. was hard to decide. Disa- you're speaking words right out of my mouth. Okay, <laughs> it was hard to decide. It was hard to, and then they were so much involved in the narrative of the story. Mm-hmm. Do you know there was a moment in the film where I almost forgot about death and the night. Exactly. This is this is where the and I don't like that because. This is the main point of the film, and these characters are felt utterly 
useless to me. And their stories Fantastic. were not... They weren't interesting plot of... They weren't interesting narratives for the film. Mm. They hardly added anything to the ending and everything I picked out out of that dance with the devil. Mm-hmm. They were hardly... There was this mean knight... This, he, was he a knight? He was someone's bodyguard. I didn't even get the fuck his deal. Do you remember him? The one who got a girl and is like, you will be my... Yes, that's, that guy was... Uh, he was formerly a priest. That he, guy. He, that's the guy you're talking about. He's the one about. that convinced them to go to the crusades. That guy. And then he became a thug. He was just a I, thug. The, 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 the narrative of that was not easy to comprehend. Yeah. But the the, all the side character story just didn't fly well with me and then there was this guy who had cheated on his wife and actually this comes to the character I mainly wanted to talk about. The only side character who I really liked was the I don't know if he was a, he seemed to be like a circus guy. The, the one who was like a, a showman, he was a showman he used to go on the road with the lady with a baby. Yes, Do you remember the, the lady the with the baby? So, now I was very, very, very intrigued by those three. Yeah. I loved them. I loved what was going on with them. When they came on, I cared about what was happening with them. Besides the night and the devil and death. Them, I, I extremely loved them. So, what even made me more intrigued is when I went on to read about them, someone interpreted them as Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Now, how they explain it is how... Do you remember he was able to see that... He was able to see death talking to... Now, that actually made more sense because he kind of had... You could interpret it that he had the spirit in him and he used to keep on saying, I'm able to see things. Mm. Man, there's so much... Introducing him, he saw Mother Mary. He saw Mother Mary. Mm. He was able to see things, so he was basically the good... I think one of the only good... People in the film. That's the point. Okay, that was the this only is what intriguing set of people in the film. This I love those three. This is what I think about what you're saying. Okay. You mentioned that when these people came on and the knight came to them mm-hmm. for a moment, you even forgot about his game with death. Did you notice what happened to the knight when these characters came to play in his life? I didn't notice. He also forgot about his match. And Ooh. death had to come to remind him. Did you notice that? He said, I'm going to carry this moment with me. Like, what? Mm-mm. And he was sitting there, and then death shows up. And if you watch, because uh, Max von Sido, by the way, he plays the knight. If you watch his expressions, they're amazing, because <laughs> they're very... I don't know buying that. <laughs> I, didn't, I forgot about them, because I was utterly bored with these other characters that they were showing me. But you just mentioned that you were intrigued by the three. I was intrigued by the three purest people. they are the ones with the most screen time. I loved them. And they had the most screen time. I really so loved them. <laughs> I loved them. They made the movie way above average for me. Because if it was just my mm-hmm. my relationship with the night and death, this film would have been a proper half and half for me. But those two, they added my experience to the film. The three, the the the, the, the purest people, the 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 the, the chick and her baby. The book, the movie wasn't about the night and death. You see, the knight in his speech with death, he said something along the lines of, okay, this is just me trying to remember. He said something along the lines of, I am cast by my indifference, alienated from everyone and everything. Like, why must it be like this? Why did God cast me with this? That's what he said. His indifference. He's, he's, he, he felt like 
he wasn't part of the world anymore. Mm-hmm. Later on, if you notice when he's speaking to the family, he mentions he had a, a wife at some point before he went for the crusades. Yeah. So how is it that a man who's heavily invested in the world is so tired of it? And how is it that his chief concern now is death except for the one time that he's distracted by purity? Including also the witch who you mentioned. That's a great thing. I'd forgotten about her. Mm-hmm. He may, when he sees the witch and they say these these freaks who wanted to burn her are saying this witch let's burn her. He 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 takes interest. He says, so you can see the devil. I would like to meet him. I loved that. <laughs> oh, continue about that scene. Continue. Anyway, that's what he says because in her he doesn't see a witch who you should burn. Mm. He's seeing meaning. He's tr- he's desperate. This is a, a story about a, a guy desperate for anything. But <laughs> Nick, right after that point where he says, "Do you see the devil?" Mm. There's the part where she goes up, and then he says, "You guys, she's seeing nothing." Yeah, because she's not a witch. <laughs> no, I don't agree with that interpretation. <laughs> what I would say is it almost clarifies his indifference of there's absolutely nothing in the eternal life. There's just blank. There's only nothing. one other character who actually did see death. Who and else did see death? That man, the, the juggler, he's the only other character who saw death. The, the other character who they cut the tree off? That who cheated no, on his wife? No, the who? one with the wife and child. He saw death because he had the spirit of the Lord to show him death. <laughs> exactly. exactly. He saw death because he not because he was a witch. Me, I interpret as he had the spirit of the Lord. I don't believe I almost believe that Mary and Joseph the, thing. What they're trying to portray is that he was a very pure person. He was almost painfully so. Yes, he's so pure. Him and his... Yeah. Exactly. So naturally... He was he was able to see things in stark clarity. But I would think if someone's so impure, who's so bad, they should also be able to see the devil. That's what you. What do you say of that other guy who had cheated on his wife? How come he was able to see the devil? The guy who cheated on his wife. Yes. There when was he, this circus guy. When he, he saw was death. Going to die. Exactly. This chick was the also same going the to die. Saw death because he was going to die. Why didn't that chick see death when she was going to die? <laughs> at the same time, that's a good question. Yes. Why mm. didn't she see death? That's a fantastic question. I don't know why she didn't see death. This movie is so difficult, and this explains <laughs> what I'm trying to say about this movie. Mm. And it's one of those things. I think if I watched it again, my questions would double. It's I'm so happy movie. we talked about Persona first because this movie is so hard to salvage. Eh? <laughs> you just need to, this movie is so hard to anyway, salvage. In short, you should watch it. It's, you should watch it and try to make your own interpretation of the film. That's that, and I think this is what movies ought to be. I don't. That's like, what makes movies good. Yeah, good ones. Yeah, <laughs> good movies. I don't, I don't, I don't like a movie. I go in and. We go out and there's nothing to say about this or even think about it. It's just okay, it was a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it started and it ended. And keeping in mind this came out in the fifties. It's an old movie. Yeah. But it's refreshing to see because someone actually I want to see it again seriously. now after talking about it. I knew I would. I was eager to talk to you about it. Anyway. So that's why I liked the other seven seal. The 
It touches You're heavy things heavily. Damn, a long time. Yeah. I mean, typically I go for something one more accessible and a little more lighthearted because I like lighthearted stuff. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you do. I really do. I do. Like a Groundhog Day. Oh, <laughs> that's so lighthearted and accessible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just feel that movies have to go a certain direction and mm. for that to happen, audiences have to go that direction too. Mm. Yeah. Yay! Are we done? Was there anything else you'd have wanted to say? About the Seven Seal? No. About oh, except Ingmar that Bergman. you should really watch it. You should watch it. Yeah. It's um, a good movie. Okay, this has been Cinema Red Pillar being with Nick. Yeah. Muhereza. Yeah, that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sharon, thanks for listening. Bye.